welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning session of Sunday the 24th of May 2009, entitled Three-Dimensional Giving, Part 1, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 24. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to open your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Now, how many of you, when you maybe were getting ready for church this morning, anticipating what God was going to, how many of you, before you got here, said, boy, I hope the preacher preaches on giving today? <laughs> no? <laughs> okay. Anybody besides Brother Peter? <laughs> oh, I hope he preaches on giving today. Well, if you did, your wish has come true. We'd like to begin by taking our reading from 1 John chapter 3. We're going to read verses 16 through 24, and I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word. Again, beginning in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us, then, we, then have we confidence toward God. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment, that we shall believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Father, we thank you again for this day that you've given us for health, for strength, Lord, we thank you for our church, for each one that makes this body possible, each one that you have sent this way. Father, as we look around this congregation this morning, Lord, we see the outside, but we know that you see the hearts. You see that which is within. You know the burdens of each one that is here today. You know the needs of each and every individual. And Father, we realize the frailness of the one that stands in this pulpit, and we realize so fully well, Lord, that if anyone is... Lord, if their needs are to be met, if they're to be spoken to in any way that, Lord, is going to have lasting consequence, then we know that that must come from you today. So, Father, we pray that you would anoint thy servant by your grace. Father, that you would see fit to speak to our hearts here in this place today. Lord, if there be one in our midst that is lost, that's never been saved, that this might be the day they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Or maybe someone that is a backslider. They've been saved, Lord, but... Lord, if they genuinely, they genuinely take a look inside, they realize that 
Lord, they're not walking where they ought to be walking. They're walking afar off. And maybe here today you can speak to their hearts and draw them closer. And for every Christian, Lord, whatever it is that they most need today, maybe it's encouragement, maybe it's a challenge, whatever it is, we pray that you would speak to their heart, that each and every one of us would be responsive in whatever way we need. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, you may not have come this morning with this great anticipation and thought in your mind and hearts. Boy, I hope the preacher preaches on giving today. But aren't you glad today that we serve a giving God? Aren't you glad? You know, as we read and learn about God, He is a giving God. The Bible tells us that God is love. And folks, love is never about taking. Love is about giving. And love is about not just giving things. You know, I could ask you today, how could that person that you care the most about, how could they express their love to you in the most meaningful way? And of course, we hopefully as we look through these things this morning, we will first of all grab a picture, as we've just read in His Word, of just how God has shown us His love. You know, one of the very first things as two people choose to spend the rest of their lives together, they take those marriage vows, you know, and they make some promises to each other there. One of those promises is to love and to cherish. And then, of course, they will spread that spectrum. You know, it's the good and the bad, not just the good times. Matter of fact, it finalizes with that thought of until death do us part. Nothing else will separate us. Once we read about our Lord, I remind you again what we just read there in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, how do we see, how do we know, how do we comprehend that God loved us because he loved us so much that he gave himself? You take off the one, and most of you can probably quote John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad that God loved you and that he proved that love? And, of course, he's saying that that's exactly. If we go around talking all the time about how much we love each other and how much we, we love all of these other people out here, we ought to be proving that love. We ought to be willing to show it like he did. He went on here in these verses, and he makes a very plain statement. He says in verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, 
how dwelleth the love of God in him? How is it possible if the love of God is truly dwelling within us? How is it possible if we really love our brother to see a need and yet just literally close ourselves off to it? You see, Jesus had compassion. Jesus felt down deep, but it's amazing how the world can cause even we as Christians to become so cynical. We see somebody in need and, and rather having compassion and wanting to, to do something about it. We begin to think of, well, are they really in need? Why are they in need? I, I've worked hard for what I've got. Why should I be worrying about giving it to someone that, that hasn't had that same devotion and hasn't worked as hard as me? You see, if we're not careful, these thoughts like the world thinks will begin to creep into our minds as Christian. But God said here, how can you say that the love of God is dwelling in you and yet you see that brother in need and you don't care? He says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, he began there by saying, we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. He genuinely showed us that he loved us. We find that, of course, one of the Places that I, well, recommend for all Christians to read, but especially young people today, that in their daily devotions, one of the best places to turn and get something from God every day is the book of Proverbs, because it's such a practical book, and it gives us just down-to-earth, common-sense things that we can just take and, and grasp, and, and some of those are so easy to, to learn, to memorize, and to remember. We find that the book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom, it has quite a lot to say about this thing of giving. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. That doesn't take a whole lot of figure. What are the first fruits? <laughs> It's what's on the top. It's not what's left over. In other words, when God blesses us with what are possessions and things that we have in this world, we ought to have a desire to give him off the top the very first fruits of that which we have, that he gets the best, that he gets his before we worry about our own fleshly desires because most, most of them aren't really needs. <laughs> Most of it's what we want rather than what we have to have. And yet so many times, and I don't say this to be mean, I bet even here today, as we have taken and received of these offerings for the Lord, I bet many times it's just kind of picking to see what little that you can do without that has gone in the offering bag rather than, wow, the Lord has blessed me so much. I've got health and strength, and I'm able to be here. He's given me the, the ability to be able to, to earn what I've earned, even if it's not as much as I wanted to earn. 
He deserves the first fruits of that. He tells us in Proverbs chapter 11 and in verse 24, he says, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than his meat, but it tendeth to poverty. Now, that's not the kind of principle that the world applies and understands. You see, in God's economy, we scatter it, we give it away, and it gets bigger. But yet in the world's economy, they hoard it, they hold on to it, and in fact, it decreases, it's less. We find that he tells us in Proverbs chapter 13 and in verse 7, he says, There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. Does that make sense? <laughs> there's, some, there's these that will make themselves rich, and yet they have nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, <laughs> yet hath great riches. You see, that's God's economy. It doesn't work like this world's economies. I'm sad to say today that too many churches try to operate like a business of this world. They try to operate on the world's principles rather than upon God's principles. You know, I thank God, and I'm not saying this because the Bible tells us be very careful. Don't go comparing yourselves amongst yourselves and looking at how good you are in comparison to somebody else. You know, I would not, and I'm serious, I would not want to be a part, a member of a church that was not a giving church. If they were concerned about what they could do for themselves and what they could have and what kind of kingdom they could build down here, I wouldn't want any part of it whatsoever. You know, we're not huge in number today. But boy, has God blessed us. You know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you from the standpoint that I, I, I'm, I enjoy looking at that mission board back there. And I think, wow, God, you know, even though I realize full well, you know, help us to recognize and understand, that's nothing for our God. <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't even begun to scrape the surface of what God could do even with just we that are right here today. We are very limited people, every one of us. I look around, and if there's anybody that's rich here today, you, you fool me. <laughs> now, thank God. I'm not saying that you're all living in the shanty village either. The truth is, is that most of us are blessed more than most of the people in the world. But for the most part, folks, most of us don't have huge bank accounts. But yet, look at what God has accomplished for the cause of missions. And listen, I believe this as sure as I'm standing here and speaking to you today. The reason our needs have been met so wonderfully, the reason that we've been able to see God do so much even around us in the material things, if we'd approach these things where well, we've got so many needs, we need to worry about us. We need to worry about getting our building repaired and getting new heating systems and, and doing all these things for us before we start worrying about giving it to somebody else out there. Folks, there is no way on the face of this earth we would be where we are today. But it's because you've been a generous and a giving people that it's increased, that God has blessed us 
here at Bethel Free Baptist Church. These principles need to be applied in our churches and, of course, in our day-to-day lives as Christians. One chapter more in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 21. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth. Listen, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. It's easy to look and despise somebody. You know, you ever get that feeling sometimes of just not knowing how to act or what to do when you maybe meet somebody that it's obvious just how down and out they are? Maybe it's a street person. Maybe it's somebody that you come across on the street. Maybe it's by the clothes that they're wearing or the smell that you smell or whatever. You know they don't have a lot in this world. And sometimes there is that, what should I do? Should I just cross by on the other side of the street? Should I give them something to help them? How should I act towards this person? And, of course, it's a good place to begin. And the Bible says here to have mercy upon them, to care about their situation. In Proverbs chapter 19 and in verse 6, the Word of God says, Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. Sometimes we, we struggle with, boy, they just want something else out of me. There's nothing else to give. And yet we all know how much that we love and respect and honor. Don't you prefer being around somebody that has a compassionate, merciful, giving heart and attitude about them than somebody that is tight wants to hold it all for themselves, doesn't want to do anything for anybody else? Who do you prefer being around? And yet, how do we respond and act in return? We find in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 26, it says, He coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. One chapter over, chapter 22, and in verse 9, he that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Do we believe that? Do we believe honestly that God will bless us, or do we believe that we have to take care of our own needs? I'm not talking about our responsibilities here. We have responsibilities to cleave, clothe, and, and, and feed our families and whatnot. But do we really believe God? Do we believe that He will bless us if we see a brother in need? If we see someone else that has less than we do, and we reach out compassionately to give to them. Notice what it says in Proverbs chapter 28. And in verse 27, he that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. <laughs> That's what we do a lot of times. It makes it easier, doesn't it, if we pretend that we don't see. I mean, we know it's there. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the little child, you know, when you get to playing, you know, 
hide and seek. And, you know, they, they, they cover their eyes, and it's, it's like, you know, it's like you can't see them because they can't see you. You know, that's exactly what we do in a spiritual sense a lot of times. We just want to cover our eyes, he's talking about here. We want to pretend that it's not there. And in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 20, the Bible says, She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. Do you know who the Bible is describing there? <laughs> what we call the virtuous woman. <laughs> One of her virtues is that she's willing to reach out her hand to those that are in need. You see, what I want you to grasp and understand, first of all, this morning, is that though you may not have been thinking about it in an eager, anticipative manner as you came this morning, that the preacher preach on giving, I want to share with you today that our economy is not like the world out there. What I want to show you today is how you can be a better person, a more prosperous person, a happier person, a more fulfilled person, a righteous person, because that you have a giving heart. You see, what I want to speak to you about giving, it's not so that you've got less, but so that you've got more. Not so that you're, in a, you're burdened with more weights, but so that those burdens can be lifted and taken away. Because we're talking about God's principles today. God gave himself, Brother Steve. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave. God gave himself. You know that our first step in this matter of giving is just to truly give ourselves to God, to give ourselves to God. Isn't that what the bride and groom are really doing down at the front? They're giving themselves to the other completely, totally. You know, if we truly love God, the first thing we've got to worry about is not how much money that we're going to put in the offering plate, but that God's got us, that we give him ourselves. As a matter of fact, before that we even concern ourselves with giving God anything else, we've got to begin by giving him me. He needs to have me. You see, the reason that a lot of Christians have problems with giving and Preachers preaching on giving and the things that they possess today, the reason, because they've not, first of all, truly given themselves to God. I'm talking, as the saying goes, lock, stock, and barrel. Everything. Not partially. They haven't given themselves completely, wholeheartedly to God. When you truly give Him yourself, I can promise you, <laughs> You won't have any problem whatsoever with the wallet, with what you have, with what little that this world may have afforded you so far. If he's really got you, then you won't have trouble with those things. I read the story that when you go to a doctor for your annual checkup, which a lot of people would do just to make sure that there's nothing wrong, and that doctor begins to poke here and to prod here and to press in all these various places and 
And he asks you this simple question as he's poking and pressing and doing all this. He says, does this hurt? Does this hurt? Does this hurt? Well, guess what? If you cry out in pain, one or two things has happened. Either the doctor's pushed too hard where he shouldn't have been pushing anyway. <laughs> he hasn't been sensitive enough. Or, more likely, there's something wrong. The doctor says something like, well, we better run some more tests. <laughs> we better find out what it is that's causing this. It's not supposed to hurt when I press there. And that's kind of like the way it is when pastors preach on money and financial responsibility. Sometimes people cry out in discomfort, oh, that hurts. Sometimes even, well, you know, you shouldn't be preaching on that anyway. <laughs> well, either maybe sometimes pastors are human, sometimes maybe he's pushed in the wrong place or he's pushed too hard or something, but more than likely, there's something wrong. Ben Rogers says, in that case, I say, my friend, we are in need of the great physician because it's not supposed to hurt there. It's not supposed to hurt there. You see, when we truly grasp biblical giving, it's not something that will hurt us ever. And it's not something that we will dread ever. If there's a dread, if there's a pain, if there's a hurt in it, something's wrong. We need to find out just what it is. Now, this week begins our annual missions conference, and, you know, this is about, I know, any of you got anything important going on in your life this week? <laughs> Probably everybody here could raise their hands, right? But I'm talking about, and we need to remember, the most important task that God has given us with whatever life that we've got left here on this earth, the most important task, what we call the Great Commission. God gives us many principles to live by. He gives us many commandments to obey. But His parting words to us was, Go ye, each and every one of you, all of you, go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. We have no greater task before us. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that you or myself or anyone else has to do this week. I've got a lot of important things, and sometimes get all stressed out and the pressure builds up. There's no way i got too many important things and not enough hours in the day to do them. But there is nothing on my schedule that's more important with whatever breath and life that God has given us than this task of winning the lost to Christ. We have nothing more important than that to do with our lives. If we're to succeed, and this was going to be my message for tonight, but I ended up just having to kind of stick it here in this uh, introduction because I knew I wasn't going to get to it maybe sometime later. But in this matter of missions, there are some essential things if it's going to be accomplished. And I want to give these to you as just a matter for you to pray for. Pray this week. Will you make it a point? Is the cause of missions, is the cause of the last thing God gave us to do, is it important enough to you 
that you'll make it a point to even try to be here this week for the missions conference? And if so, will you pray about this? There are some essential things if this task is to be accomplished. Yes, it's going to take personnel. Personnel. You see, even here this morning, as I look across this congregation, who maybe is sitting out there that God wants you? You see, here's a question, and I've heard people, I think, sometimes grasp this a little bit wrong. The truth is, we don't have to ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do? He's already told you what he wants you to do. <laughs> he wants you to be a witness. He wants you to proclaim the gospel. He wants you to tell everybody, everybody, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was put in the grave, rose the third day, is coming again to receive all those that put their faith and trust in his finished work to receive them as his bride. He's told you what to do. The only real question for each and every one of us this morning is, Lord, where do you want me to do it? Where do you want me this week? Where can you use me this week? And the truth is, maybe for most of you, I mean, I, I'm careful the way I say this. I mean, I, I'd love to see God call you to the mission field anywhere, but I hope he doesn't call all of you at one time and leave me here on my own. You know, chances are he's not going to call everybody to some foreign mission field this week. But it might be you. It requires personnel. It requires personnel here. This church, this church can't be strong unless it's got the support of the people that make it up. The church is not this building. It's not the name that's been on it since 1931. The truth is today, the church is the people that make up this body. Missions require personnel. Maybe God wants to do something. God definitely wants to do something with you. I shouldn't say it that way. God definitely wants to do something with you. What you should be looking this week, God, do you want to do it right now, right here? Do I need to be more committed to Bethel Free Baptist Church? Or is there somewhere else in this country or somewhere around this world that you want to use me to do a specific task? Would you at least pray and say, God, here I am, whatever, wherever that you want to use me, I'm available it requires personnel. It requires prayer. Folks, it will not be accomplished in ourselves. He even tells us to pray that God would send forth laborers into the harvest. We need to be praying this week. There are needs all over the world. There are needs right here in this city and to the farthest point from here. We need to pray that God would send forth laborers into the harvest. And we need to pray for those laborers that are already in the harvest. Without God, they can accomplish nothing. We can't pray too much. We need, it requires prayer. Nothing will be accomplished in our own strength. It requires, you can use whichever P you want, possessions, payment. Somebody's got to, to come up with some money. The fact is, in this world, if we're going to send people the Bible says a workman's worthy of his hire. We can sit back, oh, they ought to be willing if God's called them just to pack their bags and take off on their own. <laughs> if God tells them to do it that way, that's fine. But God tells us to send them. God tells us we ought to be taking care of their needs. 
That was the way they did it in the New Testament. The churches sent them out. The churches took the money and met for their need. And we'll be looking at that close tonight as we look into Corinthians. But it's going to require. Is that what God needs from you more right now? Is that you'd be willing to let go of some of those possessions that you hold so dear that God's work might be accomplished? And fourthly, it needs power. We can't do it. No missionary can do it in themselves. That power. God talked about it. God told them to, to wait for that power, even after he gave them commission before they headed out to accomplish it. It takes something beyond us. It takes something beyond us. For those that are going, and I'm telling you this, we're going to be looking at that power later too. It takes something beyond us if we're going to be able to get the gospel to the regions beyond. Whether it's in our, us going or whether it's in us helping that somebody else can go, the truth is, it's something beyond us because the job is too big. If we do everything that we can possibly do, it still won't be enough. But it's not too big for God. And that's part of what we want to see today. What does God want to do in the year ahead? You see, the truth is, when you grasp the principles of God's giving, it becomes exciting. It's not something that you dread. It's not something that you don't want to hear about or don't want to practice. It becomes an exciting thing to see what God is doing. Boy, you know, I can't believe God did that. But he will. And that's what Faith Promise Missions is all about. And that's what we're going to be working toward. You see, a lot of times people think that it's a matter of selection, of finding God's will in which of these areas <laughs> that he wants to use them. But I say that each and every one of us need to be involved in every area that I've talked about here. It's this third one that we're going to focus primarily upon today. This one of the possessions, this one of, of giving. What are we to give and, and how do we do it? And we don't want to look at it just from a single dimension, but at the whole picture, and that's why I call it today three-dimensional giving. Three-dimensional giving. The first dimension of giving is a giving that is, mark this down, binding. It's binding. It's not optional. It's something that is required. And that's what we read about earlier there in first fruits when it talked or in Proverbs when it talked about the first fruits. Are you ready for this this terrible word? Tithe. Tithe. That's the first dimension of giving. Now I'm not going to go off on a, on a rabbit trail here, but let me just say I challenge you to look at God's Word from beginning to end. Look at how God has set up His economy to work. And folks, every church will have to answer for themselves. But I do not ever want to be the pastor of a church that has to rely upon the, the bake sales and the garage sales and everything else sales in order to pay for God's work. We ought not to be going to the world and saying, world, will you help us pay for this? We ought to be a testimony to them of our God and His ability. God doesn't order something that He can't pay for. I'm saying to you, God's means of His church being taken care of is by His people. 
Some, of course, would say that this thing of the tithe is not binding upon us today. Preacher, what's wrong with you? That was only binding in the Old Testament. That was only something that was under the law. It doesn't apply to New Testament Christians. It doesn't apply to people that are living in this age of grace. Well, let me say to you, folks, you're reading from a different Bible. Well, you haven't read all the Bible has to say. I want you to look at something. First of all, turn with me back to the book of Genesis. First book in your Bible, Genesis chapter 14. I'm going to start talking fast. We just just barely get out of the introduction. I'm going to get this finished this morning and tonight together. So I'm going to move quick here, but I want you to understand, this is the first dimension of giving, and this one is binding upon everyone. Notice, first of all, in Genesis chapter 14, notice what it says here, picking up in verse 18 through 20. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Listen to verse 20. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, and he gave him, what's that next word in your Bible? Tithes of all. Now, that's interesting because first thing you got to note here, folks, this is well before the law. <laughs> law doesn't exist yet, okay? Now, turn with me into the New Testament, into the book of Hebrews. Boy, you pray for me. You, you, see, this, you see this Bible? I'm, I'm talking about ragged pages falling out. And yes, I got a better Bible. But you, but you know, this, this Bible has a special place because all up and down, thousands and thousands of miles, I, I've, I've preached missions and things out of this so much that even as I came this morning, I, I laid the new Bible aside and I picked up my old one that's falling apart because it's been with me so many times, so many places. And it was really through this Bible right here that God began to teach me and show me the importance of what I'm talking about here today. And it only seemed fitting that if this is where God showed me, that it was right that I use this to try to show you today. In Hebrews chapter 7, notice, notice what God says about this. Hebrews chapter 7, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. For this, hey, there's that guy again, Melchizedek. That's the same guy we just read about over there in the Old Testament. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, yep, same one, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Isn't that what a tithe is? It's simply a tenth. First, being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, listen, but made like unto the Son of God. A body of priests continue. Many times we look into the Bible and we say so-and-so is a type of this or so-and-so is a type of that, but God said that Melchizedek was a type of the Son of God. He says, 
Now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises, and without all contradiction the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Folks, no one, no one is left out. <laughs> Even the ones that are receiving the tithe pay a tithe. Now, I'm not going to go too far down this trail. That's, that's one of the things that even we here at Bethel, you know that you pay your tithes into this local storehouse. But the truth is the, the first fruits off of that, our church pays a tithe out of that right into our offerings, into our missions offerings, into our missions budget to go somewhere else outside of here for God's work. You see, what we see in these scriptures, very simply, and we could spend a, a long time there, but we won't. We see that this man, Abraham, a patriarch, he paid tithes to Melchizedek, a type of Christ before the law ever existed. So to say the tithes was under the law, no, it existed before the law. And one of the passage in Genesis chapter 28, and we will Move on from there. Genesis chapter 28. Notice what it says in verse 20 to 22. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You see, the truth is, Abraham paid tithes. Jacob paid tithes. These were all before Moses. <laughs> before the law was even given. So to say that the tithe was a law thing, no. We find that it was under the law. Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, dealing with the law, deals very much with it. We can read all about the tithes in these books. But I'm going to summarize with some key points. Have, take some notes so we're never going to get through all this. You're going to need to read some of these things for yourself. I want you to see that under the law, there wasn't just one tithe, but there were three tithes. First of all, Numbers chapter 18 and verse 21, you'll find that there was a tithe that was there for the purpose of the upkeep of the priest and the Levites. You know, the ones that were responsible for ministering to them, they had to be taken care of. Verse 21, and behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance for their service, which they serve, 
even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So there was one tithe that went for making sure that the spiritual leadership was there and taken care of. But notice, look in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. And notice what it says in verse 5. It says, But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come, and thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heave offerings of your hand and your vows and your free will offerings and the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks. And there ye shall eat before the Lord your God and ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand unto ye and your households wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Man, how many of you like fellowship? How many of you like eating? You like the occasional feast. <laughs> well, that's what this one's talking about here. You see, there was one tithe that they gave, a tenth of everything that they had for the upkeep of the, of the priests and the Levites. There was another tithe that they gave, which was for their feast and their fellowship one with another. It was important that God's people, that they be bound together, that they have fellowship, that they encourage one another, that they do these things together. And so they gave a tithe. That's all that it went for, was for that fellowship. Now, look over just a couple pages in Deuteronomy chapter 14. You can also look down in verses 17 and 18 of 12. There's all kind of other things there. But notice this one in, in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Notice what it says in verse 28 and 29. At the end of three years, thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year and shall lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow which are within thy gates, shall come and shall eat and be satisfied that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest. They gave a tithe that went solely for the priest and the Levites for their upkeep. They gave a tithe which went for their feast and their fellowship together. And here they're giving a tithe every third year. They were giving that one to be able to meet the needs of the poor. To meet the needs of the poor. That's what it was for. You give this every third year, you bring in a tenth. And we're going to feed the widows and the poor and those that have need with that. So you see, simply, the tithe always means 10%. They were paying these three tithes, and if you work it out, to every, every year they were paying 10% plus 10%, that's 20%, plus every third year there was another 10 So that's like averaging 23 and a third, almost a quarter of everything they had, first of all, or anything else, went to God's work for the various things that needed to be done. That was the tithe under the law. People want to say that was just under the law. No, it existed well before the law ever came into existence. And it definitely existed under the law, but they were required to give a whole lot more for God's work than you and I ever dreamed about giving usually. And then I say to you that if you look into the last book in your Old Testament, into the book of Malachi chapter 3, notice what it says in verses 10 to 12. 
He says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And what's he say? Prove me. Prove me. Now, God says, you know, you don't believe this thing works? <laughs> Prove it. You do what you're supposed to do, and then see if I won't do what I am supposed to do. He says, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall be no room enough to receive it. You're not going to be able to withstand the blessings. I'm going to bless you so much. And listen, it's not always what we get, is it? We always think about, you know, what's the Lord going to give? But sometimes <laughs> it's what the Lord keeps from having to go out as well. He says, for I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, I know to some people this may sound corny and foolish. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just simple enough to believe God will do what he says he'll do. And I thank God for that. You know, God says, prove me. Bring your tithes into the storehouse. Now listen, we can't spend the whole time just talking about the tithe. This is just the first dimension. But I want you to grasp the tithe existed before. The tithe existed during. And they brought them into the storehouse, into God's house. It's not to say, well, I'm giving to this cause and I'm giving to that cause and I'm giving to this other cause. No, you bring it into the storehouse. You want to give some other, we'll show you how to do that in just a minute. But the tithe comes into the storehouse. The tithe that existed before the law, the tithe that existed under the law, and I'm going to give you three verses in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. I want to show you the tithe in the New Testament. <laughs> under grace. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Now, look with me before I make comment there into the Gospel of Luke and look at chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 and verse 12. The story of the, of the, of the publican and, and, and the, uh, the Pharisee, of course, both praying and God, you know, pointing out, you know, which, which one of them is doing it in the, right, in the right manner. And in this parable, you know, one of the things that the Pharisee does in verse 12, he says, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. In other words, this is his bragging point. He's involved in this matter of, of giving tithes. Well, I give to God. And, of course, what Jesus was saying to him back in Matthew was, yeah, it is a good thing that you give. Now, you're not going to buy your way into heaven. That's not what the money's all about. That's not what the tithe is all about. It won't make you any more a Christian. But if you genuinely are a Christian, your desire ought to be able to follow God's principles, God's commandments, to be obedient unto him. He said, you know, the problem is you're paying your tithe, 
but you're leaving these other things undone. These weightier matters is what he calls them here. He said judgment, mercy, faith. You should have paid your tithes, but you shouldn't have left the other things undone either. You see, it's just part of all that we are as Christians. And then we'll read in Luke chapter 20. It's also recorded in Matthew. It's also recorded in Mark. But in Luke chapter 20, notice what it says in verse 25. Luke chapter 20 and verse 25. He says, And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. Who's Caesar? Government, right? We all know who God is. Can I paraphrase for you here? Do you know what, do you know what Jesus is saying to them? Pay your taxes and pay your tithes. <laughs> pay your taxes and pay your tithes. When you work, the system is set up. The government gets a portion of that. Give the government their portion. But there's a part that belongs to God too. The tithe, the first fruit, belongs to him. Give God his. Do both of these things. I'll give you a couple of illustrations, and we're going to have to leave it for there. And I've got to tell you this. This is just the first dimension. I don't know how I'm going to get through both of the others tonight, but we're going to try. We might have to call a special service to finish this up. I don't know. But please, please, can I ask you this? Will you please try to be here this evening? I'm, you know, we're, we're gathering what I want you to understand from this this is, this is not something to dread and back away from. This is something to grab hold of. This is something that will make your life happier. This is something that will allow you to, to know the blessings of God in your life. And we need to, to know and experience and practice in all three dimensions of this because they all have their special blessings. The tithe is just the first dimension. That's the one that's binding. See, nowhere in Scripture. Has God ever retracted that? It existed before the law, it existed under the law, and it existed after the law, and it's still there, folks. That's God's means. He blesses us with everything we got. If it all belongs to Him, He said, okay, it all belongs to me. I'm going to let you keep 90% of it. Just leave 10% of it that my work might be accomplished. I think most of us, if it was the other way, we'd be saying, it's all mine, I'm giving it to you. Make sure 90% of it goes for my work, and you keep 10% to live on. We have trouble. Anybody ever heard of the name Kraft, as in foods? <laughs> Make a lot of food products. J.L. Kraft was the head of the Kraft Cheese Corporation. He'd given approximately 25% of his enormous income to Christian causes for many years. He said this. He said the only investment this is a rich man. Now, this is a, a man that was a big-time business that's still big-time today. He said, the only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money that I've given to the Lord. <laughs> we see economic disaster all around us. People invested in all these things and the stock market's falling and shares falling and people worrying about their jobs. Here was a wealthy man that gave something like a fourth of everything that he made to the Lord. He said, that's the only investments <laughs> that have never gone down. It's the ones I gave him. 
J.D. Rockefeller. Of course, the big Rockefeller Center in, in New York City, again, a, a, a man of tremendous wealth. He said this. He said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I hadn't tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. <laughs> you see, the beauty of God's tithe, you're not having to pay what somebody else has paid based on what they're doing. He said, I learned to give God his part when I only had a dollar and a half a week coming in. And as God blessed me, he kept getting his part. So therefore, when it comes to paying a tithe on the million, it wasn't that hard. W.A. Crispell was a well-known Baptist preacher from the state of Texas. He tells about this ambitious young man that had told his pastor that he had promised God a tithe of everything that he ever made. Then he prayed for God to bless his career and to give him a better job. At that time, he was making about $40 a week. That meant he was tithing $4 a week. In a few years, his income had increased to where his tithe alone was $500 a week now. <laughs> he called on his pastor. And he asked him, he said, you think there's any way I could get released from this promise? He said, you know, it's, it's costing me an awful lot now. Pastor replied this, well, I don't see how you can be released from the promise, but we can do this. We can ask God to reduce your income back to the $40 a week so you only have to pay the $4. <laughs> we wouldn't want that, would we? You see, the truth is, is that the tithe is only the first dimension of giving. And as a Christian here today, I want to tell you this, we got two exciting things to come. Two other dimensions about giving that just open up the blessings of God in ways you can't even imagine, but you can't even get involved in them. You can't have any part in them until you first get involved in the first dimension. Just giving God that tithe. His ten. And the truth is, folks, it's not so that you have it worse. <laughs> it's not so that you got less to live on. I can tell you, I can look any one of you straight in the eye today, and I can tell you, I'm not asking for me. I'm not even asking for Bethel Free Baptist Church, though that's the way God intends it to be supported. I'm asking for you. You will be blessed. I promise you. I promise you, as sure as I'm standing here, 90% with God's blessing will go a whole lot further than 100% without it. And that's what you're doing if you're trying to keep back what belongs to him, his part that, you know, before, during, and after the law has been set aside for God's work to take place. He gives everything. He says, take 90% of it, and, you know, that's yours to do what you want with, but this tenth is binding upon you. This is mine. This is what comes into the storehouse so that my work can take place on this earth. And he said, you know what? Even my own pastor told me in my young Christian life, he said, you know, he said, it's like this. He said, do you know how much God's wanting to bless you? I mean, he's just wanting to pour these blessings out on you. And he says, prove me. Be honest with your tithe and see if I won't just raise the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that you won't be able to withstand. He said, prove me. 
My pastor said this. He said, the problem is, he said, God keeps wanting to raise the wind and pour out the blessings. We keep slamming the window down and say, I'll take care of it myself. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just take care of this myself. He's trying to raise the window. He's trying to pour blessings out on your life. I'm not saying this to hurt you today. And I'm saying this, folks. We've got our limitations. This is the first dimension of giving. And part of this will go into the cause. You see, if you're faithful with your tithe, more money is going to go into our missions as well. God's work here is going to be taken care of, but there's also going to be more going into the regions beyond that the gospel might go to them. That's the first dimension. Now, you need to be here at 6 o'clock this evening. You need to hear about hopefully the second and third dimension. I'm going to have to talk real, real fast tonight. But you be here, please, because you won't hear it if you're not here. You need to be here. You need to understand and grasp what it is that God wants to do for you. And the thing is, I, I, I wish I don't have time to make an appointment to come around and preach it to you each individually one at a time. But you need to be here when we're coming together. And let's grasp. I want this to be an exciting week for us as we look at the cause of missions. I want us to see what God's got for us, what God wants to do for us. But you can't even get involved in some of the exciting things we're going to talk about tonight unless you first just get honest with God. Do what God has asked of you to do there. Then you'll see some other dimensions where the blessings get so phenomenal that it's almost hard to believe sometimes. You'll just trust God. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we've had together. Lord, as we look at this matter of three-dimensional giving, Lord, I pray that you just, just help each one here today to realize, to grasp, to understand that the first dimension in all this is that which is binding upon each and every one of us. And that's this thing called the tithe, the first fruits of everything that we have to belong to you already. So, Father, we pray that you'd help us to grasp and understand this. Help us, Lord, as we look further at this in this evening service. May you take and bless and use that time for us, Lord, that we might be able to just get a glimpse of what it is that you want to do for us in this coming year, that which is far far bigger than us, that you might do what would be impossible with man, but there's nothing for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.